Let me ask you to turn to Acts chapter 16. I like to uh, walk on the dam of Lake Murray, and I know a number of you do as well, because every time I'm out there, I see somebody that I know either walking or, you know, going by, somebody honks, and, you know, you can't, I I never really quite know who that is, but... uh, but if you, if you do it often enough, if you walk on the dam often enough and in enough different kinds of weather, you will know exactly uh, what I'm a, about to talk about and you will have experienced this. You begin the walk and uh, you head across the dam and you get uh, the, you know, everything's going well. You got a beautiful view on the one side and cars, you know, flying by on on the other side, so you, you tend to, to look out that way. And everything's going fine. You're, uh, you know, not too hot, not cold or anything like that. And you get the mile and a half or so across, and you turn around to go back, and you realize the wind's blowing. And you didn't even know that because you were walking with the wind. Now, I don't know how that works, how you can't feel it, because I know I'm not walking like 15 miles an hour, when I'm walking, but you can't necessarily tell it was behind you. But when you turn and you're into it, you've got dust coming in your, your face. And sometimes when it's really windy, you're, you know, you're leaning into it and, and, you know, and, and thinking, oh, this is not going to be quite as pleasant as the first uh, time across. And uh, eventually you make it, obviously, because you got to get back to your car. Uh, but Sometimes it gets to the point where you're really noticing that wind in your face. Now, there are parallels. There's parallels to what many of you are going through in your Christian life in that. Some of you at this point are kind of walking with the wind. There's nothing too dramatic one way or another you're, you're doing okay. Uh, you know, no, you wouldn't say you're in the middle of a trial. Uh, you're just kind of going with the wind. You may not even be conscious of that. Maybe you didn't even think of that until I just said that. But some of you are walking into the wind right now. And it's hard. It's way harder than walking on the dam. You've got the dust blowing in your eyes Some of you, because of what you're going through, every single step is difficult. And it's hard to even see the end, getting to where you'll be walking with the wind again. Regardless of what's going on in your life at this point, this passage before us today speaks to it. It gives perspective, whether you are at that point where, you know, you've got the wind behind you or whether you are trudging forward, struggling with every single step. Now, it's a lengthy passage. I was just going to read a portion of it, but um, this is, a, this is a, us seeing God at work. And I want you to remember, as I read this passage that what's about to happen when I, when I share the message, that's not 
That's not the big message. This is the message as I read it. Because this is what God saw fit to preserve for us. We are in uh, Acts 16, and I want to begin with the 16th verse. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, (laughs) you know, she's telling the truth here, isn't she? You know? But he's annoyed. He turned and said to the spirit, because it obviously, she wasn't trying to help him. This was some spirit. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately, all the doors were opened. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself, supposing those prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once. He and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, not so fast. He didn't say that, but I think that's the gist of it here. Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. 
the police reported uh, these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, isn't that just like you? To take a situation like this where where they're in prison and to end it with those who put them there apologizing, isn't that just like you? To surprise us with the way that you choose to work. Will you today, Lord, encourage us with the truth of your word, with the knowledge of the power of the Spirit, that same Spirit that is among us and in us today? Will you cause him to be our teacher, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Until we understand that God's in control, that he is absolutely in control and he is good all of the time, until we grasp those concepts, those truths, it's going to be hard to to make it through life, to understand and, and appreciate his working. And it will be impossible for us in these difficult times when we're walking, trudging into the wind until we realize these things take place for a reason. Remember the scripture? We know that For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That is not a trite cliche. That is an absolute truth. But it's a truth that it can be hard for us to grasp. So what's the good in this? And that's why, especially when we're walking with the wind, we've got to make up our mind That's what we believe. This is what I believe, that he is absolutely in control and he is absolutely good. And so while I am here walking with the wind, being carried along and and okay, it's easier for me to believe this. And then when I'm facing the wind, to then remember and grasp that which I believe that which I know to be true, even though right now when I'm in the middle of this, it doesn't look like he's good and he's in control. As a pastor, let me, let me give you a little insight into something I do as a pastor. I hope you don't get mad at me for this. The first part, I know you won't. I pray constantly that God 
will cause you to be more like Jesus. Every day, I am praying that. That is my goal for you, that you will be more and more like Jesus and you will become more and more like him every day. Here's the part that you might not like. When I hear of somebody going through a trial, I have, not because my gut tells me to, but I have trained myself to say, thank you, Lord, for answering my prayer to make them more like Jesus. Because I know that it's usually during those times. I'm not happy that you're going through those times for your sake, whether it is grief or a trial or whatever it is. I'm not happy if you're suffering But I am conscious as your pastor that God is answering the prayer to make you more like Jesus because everyone and everything in our life is there to make us more like Jesus. So please don't get mad at me over that because I want you to be like Jesus. We need to decide whether we believe he's in control and he's good. Now, look at, the, look at this, this passage. Look at the difficulty that they were facing. Verse 22, the, the crowd joined in attacking them. They are being attacked because of uh, uh, these guys had lof, lost that which they made a living off of, this girl with a demon. And nothing will wreck a girl with a demon like the demon being cast out then it's hard to make a profit off of it. And so they got mad. They got the crowd against them. The crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off of them, uh, gave orders to beat them with rods. Uh, They had inflicted many blows upon them, threw them into prison, uh, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Now, that wasn't for their protection. Keep them safely means don't let them get out. He put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stock. So here's their day. You think you've had a bad day. Here's their day. Persecution from the crowd, clothes ripped off, severe flogging, thrown into not the outer cell, which would have been secure enough, the inner cell, and feet put in stocks. Folks, they weren't going to escape. Now, whether they had heard about other, you got to watch these Christians, sometimes they just walk out of prison, whether they had heard that that had taken place earlier or not, who knows. But they weren't about to let them go out. Now, this is a short passage and a small amount of time, they're in trouble. They're having a difficult day in terms of walking against the wind. And then look at God's intervention, verse 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. There have always been those that have tried to explain this away and that try to explain miracles away. And this is no different. They just say, well, you know, this was, their, this was just their lucky day. 
uh, you know, the, the earthquake came and they were able to get out. Okay, uh, you know, no question about the earthquake. Maybe even explain the door coming open with the earthquake. It's tough to explain the stocks falling off because of an earthquake. This was a miracle. It's a miracle from God, a direct intervention from God. The prison doors fly open, the chains come loose. That is not your typical earthquake. Now look at, look at the results. Look back at verse 27. It says, When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. He knew, because he had had these orders, that you know, if your prisoners escape, you're going to be executed. You didn't do your job. You're going to be executed. He wasn't going to wait for that. He decided he would take his own life. And that's uh, when Paul says, look, don't, don't hurt yourself. Everyone's here. And when he saw the doors open and everything, he just assumed everyone was gone. Verse 30, then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, some have wrestled with this and they've, they've you know, again, those from a, a non-believing perspective saying, you know, he, he was probably just trying to say, how can I be safe because I'm in trouble here? You know, if that was anywhere in his mind, there's no way for us to know the word there that's used. Uh, how can I be saved? It's actually the same word as the slave girl uh, the, did the day before when she declared by the power of the demon, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That's, a, that's the same word there. Now, did... Did the jailer know the testimony of the slave girl? Well, it's possible. It's a small town. Maybe he knew about that. I, I think it's uh, entirely uh, reasonable to think that he knew what was going on. He might have asked why Paul was being put into prison. Maybe he had already been thinking about those issues. But regardless of how the jailer meant the question, Paul answered it the right way. This is what he says. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. You know what? As I was reading this, here's what I picture Here's this man who's just come to salvation. And he is taking this one who is a, a prisoner who had been uh, unrighteously beaten and imprisoned and put in stocks. And he takes some water and he's washing his wounds. And Paul takes some water. And he baptizes in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What a picture we see here of the grace of God in the most unexpected places. And what we see is really the two sides 
here of uh, how belief works, God's side and man's side. Uh, do you remember when we talked about uh, Lydia last week, about her time of salvation? Verse 14 says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Here's what it says. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So that's one instance. The Lord opens her heart. And here we see in the jailer's case, God uses these circumstances. Circumstances that forced this jailer that in all likelihood had no idea that's how his day would end, that's how his shift would end, And yet, these circumstances that bring him to the point of his own mortality, he is ready to put the sword into his own body to take his life. And God brings him to that point and uses all of these circumstances to cause him to be open to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and to believe. Now, I want you to take a look here just for a moment at the actions of the redeemed people we see here. Now, you know, as I tell you practically every week in, in, you know, in narratives and historic passages, you just, just don't look at, you don't look at people and say, well, they did that, so we need to do this, and this is, you know, that's the lesson in there. And yet, you don't ignore what went on in the historic thing. I just want us to kind of sit back and observe what was going on with God's people in the middle of this. What, what was the reaction of redeemed people? Because I see it all the time. I see the difference between how those who are in Christ react and how those who are without Christ react to the exact same situation. And I will just tell you, there is no comparison there's no comparison. You know, maybe, maybe the most obvious is when there's a death. I deal with both kinds of families. And as Mark mentioned this morning, there's the, the passage in Thessalonians that says, we don't grieve as those who are without hope. Now, what we have in common is we both grieve. But it's so different when a believer grieves than when those who have no hope grieve. That is, that is the most painful thing I can think of to watch, those who are without Christ. So let's, let's look at what was uh, uh, going on here. Um, I guess it's 12 years ago now. Uh, Connie and I went to Paris for our 25th anniversary. Every husband who loves his wife should take her to Paris on their 25th anniversary. (laughs) No reaction about the Word of God, but I say that. Now, let me be right up front with you. The reason I always say that is, the, I mean, it is a good thing to do. 
But the only reason we were able to do it was because our oldest son was working for Delta at the time, so <laughs> we had free tickets, and it was a really short trip, and so, so I, you know, full disclosure here, okay? Because yeah, I don't want you to just take, take that away. But here, here's what happened. We... We flew over, and you fly during the night. We got there in the morning, and uh, I, I called a hotel, and for some reason I had messed up the reservations, didn't have them for that day, so I got another hotel, and they told us uh, how to, you know, what train to take from there and where to get off and so on. And so we're, you know, here we are travelers but wanting to blend in. We, we you know, we, we take the... Uh, you know, the stop where we're supposed to, and we were walking around and kind of looking around, wondering which, which of the exits we, we go up and which street, and some nice Parisian, and we found them to be very nice people. Uh, I guess they had pity on us maybe, but uh, a nice Parisian uh, came over to us and said, are you looking for the Holiday Inn? Now, I, I did all I could not to be offended because we were actually going to stay in a, a little uh, French hotel and so on. You know, we weren't these Holiday Inn type people. But what it showed me was how we, we not only stuck out as Americans, we stuck out as people that would go to a Holiday Inn in Paris, okay? Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be something? If people could recognize we are followers of Christ as readily as they recognize we are Americans in other countries, wouldn't that be amazing if our actions, our attitude, our expression, how we treat people was so obvious that they knew you must, you must be a follower of Him must be. There's, you're different. Well, look at how these followers of Christ reacted. Here they are. They're thrown in prison. They've had this awful day. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, what else would the prisoners be doing? But here they were, about midnight. See, that's not the mark of somebody who was upset and fretting and plotting their next move and saying, how can we get out of here? Or we're supposed to be here. Our mission field is out there. It's someone who had, had a sense that God's in control. If he's got us here, this is our mission field. And if he puts us out there, then that's our mission field. They were at peace, and so much so that they were driven to worship. They, you know, physically, they must have been exhausted. They'd been beaten during the day. And yet here they are at midnight, and all they can do is praise. The praise of God. They were convinced that he was in control. 
and they were in their mission field. And then they had a powerful witness. Remember what he said, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word. Notice, notice when, when asked that question, Paul didn't delay. He didn't say the jailer. Now, I realize you're asking a very important question, but before I answer, um, let, let me see where you are spiritually and that kind of thing. You know what he did? He blurted out the truth. You want to know how to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. No lecture on theology. He didn't explore the jailer's background. He didn't even talk about the church. As important as that is, that would come later. It's about your heart. Your heart. Believe in the Lord Jesus. He cut right to the simple heart of the gospel. Then verse 34, Then he brought them into his house, set food before them. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed God. He and his family. He didn't believe God because the wind of circumstances were at his back. You know what? For the jailer, if the wind had been at his back at that point, he wouldn't have even considered Christ, speaking from a human perspective. He wouldn't have been to the point of his own mortality, his own failures, his own needs. And yet, he was facing in to the wind without hope. Now, we've just heard about three conversions, uh, including last week, Lydia. I want to encourage you with these three conversions because I, I, I think we see God's working and working differently in each of these conversions. Think about the three kinds of people that were converted. You had uh, Lydia, the businesswoman. You had the unnamed slave girl and the Philippian jailer, a Gentile. Do you know what prayer the Pharisees prayed every day and sometimes numerous times during the day when they thanked God? This is what they would pray. God, I thank you that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. God, I thank you that I am free and not a slave. And then here's a third one. God, thank you that I'm a man and not a woman. They prayed that throughout the day. That's why the gospel of Christ is so powerful and so important and so radical. Here were representatives of these three despised categories. The last thing on earth that the, the legalistic Pharisees wanted to be or be associated with, and, and the Spirit drills in on them. And all of a sudden, they're in the kingdom, showing 
all those around there what the kingdom of God was like. And Paul later writes in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here you have these three conversions. Lydia, think about how they happened. Lydia being brought to faith in Christ by the careful exposition of the Scripture. The girl being brought to faith because of a dramatic exorcism and the jailer brought to faith due to circumstances, the earthquake, the loss of prisoners that brought him to consider his own mortality and need for a Savior. In each case, in each case, God worked to bring people to himself. Now, here's why I want you to be encouraged by that. Who is it? Who is it that you've given up on? Is there somebody that, that though you'd love for them to be a Christian, you just you can't even picture it? And you just say, that's, I don't even have faith to ask for that. Who have you given up on? Who is the person that you, in your mind, you wouldn't say it out loud, but in your mind you would say, that is too radical of a conversion. I, I, I cannot picture that. Know this, that the power of the Holy Spirit is not limited to what your faith can imagine or what social mores permit, but it is limited only by the good pleasure of the Father. And that is the good, that is the great news of the gospel. Let's bow together. That you would empower us is amazing, O oh Lord. When these conversions take place, to you and you alone will be the glory. And so will you give us the faith to pray, give us the courage to speak, but knowing that it is about your power and not ours that brings people into the kingdom. Thanks be to God. Amen.